Well, let's get this uh, rodeo going, eh? Yes. That doesn't... That's not how that term works, is it? I love to mix-match my cliches. Hey, we got Flamingo Sedai with us today. Welcome! I'm gonna regret that this isn't actually in the episode, but I just totally spaced on the fact that rodeo is a real word. <laughs> like, it's a total... <laughs> It's a legit word. What What in the world? I mean, I never took you to a rodeo, but... You said it, and it just sounded so... That's not entirely true. Uh, you did not take me to a rodeo. However, I did go to the Calgary Stampede, which is basically a rodeo, without you once. So, kind of. Jordo mentions you should probably not admit, now that you're in Texas, that you didn't know rodeo was a real word. Uh, like, I know it's a real word. It's just something that when <laughs> someone says it, it you're just like... That's not real. That's okay. not real. All right. Let's officially get the episode going, shall we? Right. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about fantasy. I'm the son of that equation, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. Thanks for being with us again today for another episode of Wheel of Time content. Woo-hoo! We're going to be moving further into the Dragon Reborn today. Yeah. Welcome back to the Dragon Reborn. It's been a little while, like two weeks or something, but yes. we're back and we're ready to go. And, you know, the skipping a week was for a good reason, because that means they got that 50th episode special with all those top moments and... Honestly, there was a lot of Wheel of Time mentioned in there, so it wasn't like they went without Wheel of Time. So it basically was a Wheel of Time episode still. It just like Wheel of Time Plus. There you go. How are you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. It's been uh, a fine day. It's really hot up here again in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm staying inside all day. I mean, I went for my morning walk. It was in the 60s then, but now it's, oh, pushing 90. The AC is still working, though? It's working, but we've got a bit of smoke. You know, the fires that are around have kind of swirled a little bit, so there's no fires coming right at us, but we've got a little smoke in the air. I definitely thought you were saying the AC was making a little smoke, and I was really concerned. I'm like, it's working that hard? There's smoke? Yeah, that would be a bad thing. Smoking AC. Nope, it's, it's working just fine. How are you doing, son? Well... Funnily enough, I do have a smoking appliance, kind of. Wait, did you say, did you say funnily? Yeah. Did you really say funnily? Yeah. (sighs) Okay, it's gonna be one of those episodes, gotcha. Hey, if rodeo is a real word, why can't funnily? There are reasons. But, (laughs) point is, my garbage disposal stopped working. So, I'm not sure it ever was working. It, if you remember, you were here. We tested it, it out, really looked quiet. at it. It was really, really quiet. I'm now thinking the really quiet may have just been a slight electrical buzz and we weren't hearing it running. Oh. It wasn't draining very well or anything. So I was like, what? And it was just making that buzz. I tried turning it on to clear the not draining and it wasn't working. And eventually it doesn't even do the buzz now. It stopped. It doesn't do anything when I flick the switch. But the last thing it did do was I opened up under the sink, I looked down, and I saw coming out of it little wispy bits of smoke. And I'm like, that's (laughs) not good. Welcome to renter's life. Yes, apartment Uh, renter's life. So that's not good. In other news, I also still don't have a mattress. 
Oh my goodness, yes. This is... <laughs> uh, tell them the tale, son. Tell them the tale. Well, when I first ordered it, it was supposed to be here as of today, a week ago. But then it was like, okay, no, it's actually going to ship on that day and get there on Tuesday. Cool. It didn't. Turns out some unnamed companies were shipping it together and somewhere between handing it off, it's maybe been lost? So I still don't have a mattress. I'm currently sleeping on my futon, which is fine, but it's a little hard. It's not the mattress, no. And uh, no idea when I might have a mattress, so we'll get there. Yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling to lose a mattress. It's not like, well, it just got stuck behind another box. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be mattress. pretty big and like 50, 60 pounds. Sure, it's one of those roll-up memory foam kind of things, so it doesn't have to be in full mattress form. But still, it's big and heavy. But your futon is still better than just a bunch of rushes that have been laid out on, on a slab. So yeah, you're doing I'll take, better than Wheel of Time peeps. I'll take okay? it better than a pallet in the back. <laughs> I will say I feel a little bit like loyal sleeping in nano gear beds because it's only like five feet long and I'm six foot. Nice. That's applicable. I like that. Your feet are hanging off the edge. Or my head. A little bit of both. <laughs> if I do it evenly, it's like right at the neck and right at the ankles. So nothing wrong could happen there. No, no, not at all. So what are you drinking today, Zach? Today I have a suggestion from Rach. It is one part vodka, two parts blood orange soda. Hmm. I do not know if it has a name. You can give it one. It's very pinkish red. We're going to call it the Red Aja. We're gonna nice. Nice. I like it very much. You have to put that down as an official recipe then. It's kind of sweet and nice, but like secretly pretty strong. I am enjoying something I created called the Wolf Dream Special. Ooh. Yeah, somewhat appropriate for today. The recipe is on Instagram, but it's vodka, chambord, peach schnapps, and then we've got a little bit of cranberry juice and a bunch of pineapple juice. So it's very fruity, tasty. I think we've had this conversation, but I still don't know if I know what chambord actually is. Dark raspberry liqueur. Raspberry. Or is it blackberry? It's a I think it's raspberry. I think it's raspberry. Anyways, it's good. All right, with our drinks out of the way, yes. let's take care of just a few little details, and then we'll get into the content. There has been no new content actually dropping since we last recorded. No, but there will be, like, tomorrow as of recording. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We've got one coming out tomorrow, and then another one Wednesday, and then this one shows up a week from tomorrow. But since you and I did last record... I haven't released anything because that's just been the schedule and our recording has been kind of crazy. It's been all over the place. Interestingly, over the last few days, okay, nothing new has been released. And yet we had a day this past Tuesday where we had over 400 downloads just out of the blue. That blew my mind. When you first told me, I was like, okay, cool. Maybe it was like a download day because a new episode dropped and nope, nope, nope. It just was big. Yeah, we might see numbers close to that on an episode drop day, but no, just random. Hey, lots of people found us on a Tuesday. We love it's to a see slow it. news day. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if you are one of these people who've been downloading and are fairly new and you've jumped in right at the end or you just, hey, I like the Dragon Reborn. I just want this content. Well, whatever. 
we are glad you're here. And if you've been with us all along or you're just finishing the binge when you hear this. We're also welcome. still glad you're here. That's right. Glad to have you. Uh, let's see. A couple other things. Uh, do you have that scratch off world map yet? I don't yet, but I've, I think that I've decided. So I've put my desk in a corner here, right? On one wall is going to go the big map of Middle Earth that I have once mm -hmm. I figure out how to frame it because I want it framed instead of just on the wall, but it's really big. If anyone knows where I can find cheap, massive frames, let me know. On the other wall right over here where I could just turn the camera to see directly behind the 3D printer, interestingly enough, will be where I will put that scratch off map. So I've got plans in place. I just don't have it yet. Well, we have no new countries to note, listening, sweet. downloading. It's all I mean, still the same countries. Not sweet, but at the same time, like, I don't <laughs> have to worry about the spreadsheet getting bigger before I have the map. That's right. One last thing to point out. Uh, we haven't mentioned this in a recording yet. Have we not? But No, we, we haven't. Oops. Uh, we are going to JordanCon. We are. It's official. That's right. The annual convention for all things Wheel of Time takes place in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's coming up April 22nd to 24th. We both have our memberships. We mm -hmm. are pumped, ready to be going. I shifted things around on my work schedule so I could fit it in. And you have no idea what kind of work schedule you may have. So I will make fit it, it in. Fit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this will be our first time. We're very excited. Well, Definitely. I should speak for myself. I'm very excited. I think you're very excited. Oh, no. Rach is coming too. And uh, she and I have already loosely been planning some cosplay stuff for it. Because why not? Why not? I will take pictures of you and your cosplay. <laughs> I, nah, it's probably not me. But I am eager to get there, yeah, for the fun activities and events, but more so to meet other people. We've connected virtually with a lot of people, other content creators, other people just in the Watt and Fantasy fandom, to actually meet face-to-face. -face. Very cool. So it's gonna be if great. any of you listeners are planning to be there, look for us. You will find us. Probably on our badges, it'll say something like, Jim, fantasy for the ages. Zach, fantasy for the ages. Or it'll say, Jim, fantasy for the... And it runs out of space. <laughs> hey, a little big. <laughs> something like that. All right. That's enough of our details for today. Let's get into The Dragon Reborn, shall we? Okay, let's actually talk about the book. Indeed. What? Okay, we're starting at chapter three today, called News from the Plain. Perrin is returning to the hidden camp in the aftermath of that unintentional power-caused earthquake that Rand did without even realizing. It was pretty big. Big deal. Yeah. Yep, and Perrin seeing that as he walks back into this hidden bowl where the camp is. He sees more rain when he gets down there. She's kind of mm -hmm. like looking around. Holy crap. And this is the first time we see her in this book. So it's kind of like the reintroduction of Moraine Sedai. Hi, Moraine. And good to see you. Hi. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure Perrin feels it's good to see her. No, cause... but we like seeing her just because why not? Yeah, we do. She looks right at him and he immediately looks away because it's kind of become a default for him. Why does he always look away when someone looks at him, Zach? Well, it's one of those things of you don't want to be noticed, but more specifically, Perrin specifically, I just said that twice in a row. You did averts his eyes so as to not draw attention to his eyes themselves, the golden in color. That's right. Mr. Golden Eyes. Mr. Golden Eyes, yep. Ooh, is that a Golden Eye? That's a Bond movie, right? It is. It is. It had nothing to do with wolves. Anyway. <laughs> so 
Honestly, Moraine is one of the two people he should never bother to feel like he has to divert his eyes from because she knows. She and Lan, her warder, both know that he's got this connection with wolves. And neither one and judge or go, it's evil or part of the dark one. They're like, nah, it's a thing. Of course, Moraine, being Moraine, hasn't shared everything she knows about it. She's just no. implied she knows something. Perrin keeps thinking, I really should talk to her more. Find out what else she can tell me, but I never seem to find the right moment. And if we remember way back in the Eye of the World, Lan did explain that he knew Elias, the former person that Perrin had met with this wolf brother Talon. That's right. Well, Perrin says aloud to Moraine at this point that Rand didn't mean to cause it, the earthquake. He didn't mean it. It was an accident. And she's like, ugh, accident, and goes back into her hut and slams the door. She's a little frustrated with Mr. Althor. Yeah. And that has Perrin thinking, oh boy, here comes another argument. <laughs> One more thing for them to get upset with each other about. It's like it would be another lecture, except Rand is going to be yelling back and then storm off again and then cause another earthquake. It's a vicious cycle. Almost a wheel, if you will. <laughs> Indeed. Looking around the camp, Perrin can see a lot of damage that the earthquake caused. There's trees knocked over. There's boulders that have kind of tumbled down into the bowl a little bit and it was such a nice camp one of the huts one of, most of the buildings are okay but one of them did completely collapse Oops. so he sees loyal and some shinarans actively rebuilding it right now he comes upon min and she's a little dusty a little bruise on her cheek clearly mm -hmm. she took a fall during it and she's cooking and she's grumbling over the cooking <laughs> and she's complaining that stupid ran better not complain about the food because he spilled half of it with his stupid earthquake stupid rant you know kind of thing yeah <laughs> but she does then with Perrin share nobody was actually badly hurt people banged up and bruises but like nobody got squished by a falling tree right so they're all alive they're all fine really and that speaks to a priority that Perrin had because one of the things in his thoughts of course is Min had this vision of the tinker Leia. She was gonna die. Right, so was this it? Is she dead? No, no. She's fine, as, at least as far as you can tell. She's not she dead had yet. Been, <laughs> she had been in Moraine's hut, and you know, when he got there, Moraine's out looking around and not like, oh, we gotta bury this dead person. I mean, nothing like that. So he figures she must still be fine. I don't know. I don't really feel like Moraine's a, we gotta bury this dead person kind of gal. <laughs> <laughs> What, let the dead bury themselves? Is that, that more her thing? The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. You know. <laughs> You're just going to keep using that one today, huh? All right, it, all right. It's a theme. RJ used it a million times. Why can't I? You're not RJ. Ha 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 ha. You're right. We just talk about him. That's true. So, okay, no major injuries. No. We're, we've established that. Apparently, Min shares the Shinarans were pretty upset after the earthquake. Mm -hmm. But then as they looked to Moraine, they could tell by her body language and the fact that she was looking off in the woods towards where Rand would have been, they figured out, oh, wait, 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 wait. The dragon reborn did the earthquake. Gotcha. Must have been some divine thing. It, it's yeah. fine. Totally good. We're good. It's all cool then. It's all cool. Yeah. If he wants to shake and bake, we're, we're, yes, Lord Rand. Yes, Sir Dragon. You know what? Just next time, maybe give us a little heads up so we can be prepared and shake things up with you. We'll stomp our feet and add to it or something. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. 
Along the line of concern that people would get hurt, Perrin has a thought now about men. And he says to her, you know, if you want to, uh, I'd be willing to help you leave in the morning. I've got some silver I can give you for some money and, and get you along the road back to Barillon, where you came from, where you would be safe. And she's like, oh, thanks, but no, but no, I'm no. good. Like, I'm, I appreciate it, but also like no can do buckaroo. And he's not understanding this. He's like, all you do is complain about having to stay here. So here I'm offering to help you not stay here, and you're saying that, no, you want to stay here now. What? Just because I have to stay here doesn't mean I want to have to stay here. I just have to stay here. You don't get it. <sighs> yeah, that's clear as mud, isn't it? She even tries to tell a little story. It doesn't and help. And the illustration goes right over his head. He's basically left with the understanding that he wishes Rand and Matt were next to him to explain what's going on, because they get women and he doesn't. Mm. We're just hitting all the repeating themes just this chapter. We are, and our Discord, they've been commenting on that too as we've been talking, and it's a, it's a real point to note here. This is early in book three. Robert Jordan is intentionally beating some themes from the first two books to remind us, to get us back in sync so everybody knows how yeah, this goes. we can just kind of loosely imagine that at the beginning of these books, RJ is naive, and instead of a big stick, he's, he's using a big book and just thumping us over the head with it. It's important, especially as they were coming out, but when you read it like me and just go through them, it's a little bit like, okay, we get it, we get it, redundant. <laughs> Nice illustration, Emmeline. I like that. That was good. So, at this point then, Min turns the tables on Perrin. Oh, how the turntables. And says, how about you? Do you want to go home? Is that something you're looking to do? And he's kind of like, yeah, I I'd love to go home, but I don't think I can. I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to because I think I'm tied to Rand. I think I'm stuck with him. It's a fun, weird, poignant glance that Perrin makes that, like, Loyal's been telling us for so long, all these three to Viren kind of thing. But it's like, this is one of our earlier glimpses of, what does that actually mean, though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is something, a, a tug, a pull. They can't just act as they want. So he's feeling that. He's feeling he needs to stay, he needs to be with Rand. Okay. Then, speaking of Rand... Cue a noise that Perrin hears, at least. Looks up, he sees Maureen and Lan. They're coming out the shack and over, coming over the top of the hill. We've got Rand. Okay, I was trying to see where you were going. She did, yeah, speaking of Rand, and then you talk we about Maureen and Lan. I mean, the I'm big like, thing is, like, <laughs> Rand's trying to be subtle and just kind of, like, get back and go into his hut and whatever. But Perrin notices. Perrin always notices. And RJ is emphasizing here that, yes... Perrin always notices because his hearing is so much better than the average guy and his vision is sharper than the average person. Why would that be, Zach? Remind us why he has such heightened senses. We are back to the whole wolf brother thing. Mm -hmm. Better eyes, better nose, better ears, better everything. A little bit of wolf in ya. Better, better everything, huh? Eh, most things. Okay. We're not going too deep into it. We're not that kind of podcast, but um, <laughs> There probably. you go, picking up what I'm laying down. Moraine joins Perrin and Min. Perrin asks her about Leia, specifically now, you know, and does learn, yeah, Leia fell during the earthquake. She split her scalp wide open, but I healed her. She's fine. She's resting. Head wounds bleed a lot, so there's like blood all over her face or something. 
Right. So Min is like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Is that what my vision meant? Because she said, you know, I saw this vision of Leia with blood covering her face. The problem is Min, sometimes with these visions, with her talent, she knows what they mean. And when she knows, she said she's never wrong. That's right. We don't get any clarification of that. It's just, that's how it works. She knows. So is this the first time that maybe she knew something, but she didn't really know? You know, Moraine says, you've never been wrong before. With anything you've told me that you knew with certainty, it always happened. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this could be the first time. There's always a first. Perrin is struck by this conversation then. Because Moraine goes on just beyond that to say, but hey, whatever's going to happen, happens. If she's going to die, she's going to die. Maybe it does happen later. Maybe this is just a fluke that she kind of had a blood-covered face, and it's sort of like your vision. But, eh, whatever. And that's where Perrin's like, okay, so we're talking about a woman who's going to die, and you, Moraine, are like, eh, whatever. Like, it's no big whoop. And he doesn't say this out loud. This is his mental thought. We're getting really a a Perrin POV for this chapter. I'm down for it. But Moraine, it's almost like she can read his mind. What she really does is she sees his body language. He tensed up. You know, she could feel his unease at the way she was talking. And so she responds to it. And here Mm -hmm. she says, what, Zach? The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. That's right. And we can't stop it. She says, "We're, we're in a war. Against the Dark One, the Shadow Spawn, his forces. People are going to die. That's Mm -hmm. what happens. Many people are going to die. Anyone can die. Any of us could die. Any of us could die. They might want to remember that she said that right here. Hmm. Honestly, this paragraph reminds me of Billy Joel. We're getting into we didn't start the fire. And I'm not going to go too far for copyright reasons. But it's a great song. And I want to hear a parody version that is The Wheel of Time. Hey, you could do it for the next uh, Watt parody contest. Start working up your lyrics. Oh, that's going to be so many lyrics. (laughs) Said really fast. But if you rocked it, you'd win it, man. That'd be great. So anyways, she's saying this is what's going to happen. It's just the way it is. It's necessary. I could waste a lot of time being all worked up about it, or I could just accept it. That's where I've gone. I'm accepting it. Perrin doesn't argue with her. But he thinks to himself, I am never going to accept people's deaths the way you are. That That's cold. It's callous. He's being very judgy, but I'm not sure I wouldn't have judged in the same way. We're seeing a lot of judgy Perrin early in this book. We're seeing judgy Perrin on the way of the leaf, judgy Perrin on the defeatist nature of the wheel, judgy Perrin a little bit on like power and the Shinaran's attitude toward the Dragon Reborn. He's just judging a lot. We might need a judgy Perrin meme. Pop that in our Discord. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he's wrong. He's just judgy. Okay. At this point, the three of them are joined by Loyal, Uno, and Lan. They're all around this fire. It's getting darker now. And and as they're coming, Perrin notices them walking up. And Lan, he's got his water cloak on. You remember that that re- special cloak mm-hmm. he has? That the Batman does one. the camouflage thing. Yeah, Batlan. Exactly. He notices, man, it, even though I know he's right there, it's really hard to see him. And this is Perrin, with Perrin eyes. But with the six of them now all gathered together, Moraine shares the news that Leia had delivered in her cabin. So the thing to note here that I'm kind of going, are we meant to believe that in this case, Uno is more or less in charge of the Shinaran segment? He's kind of like the representative there. Yes. Yes, we are. Because sitting here, we've basically got one chunk of every party. 
and Min and Perrin and Loyal all count as their own. Ingtar, of course, we remember, had been in charge of the Shinarans. Yeah. Uno had been kind of like his sergeant. Third. You know, the one who, the, Ingtar's the officer, sergeant was the high, or Uno was the highest enlisted man. Yeah, I'm not going to use actual military terms just because I don't remember the orders of things between officer and enlisted ranks. It's a whole mess of things, especially using different countries. But we're safe enough to say he's the top NCO. And you can just go, okay, I don't know. <laughs> like, I know what you said. I'm just going to go with, okay. I've watched movies. No, I did a little bit of research. I just haven't been in any military myself. Okay, can we move past this now? <laughs> no, but yes. The news that has come to them is that, one, everyone is still fighting down on Elmuth Plain, just like Great. they knew, so that hasn't changed. Hunters for the Horn have appeared. That is new. The Horn of Valir, yes? Yeah, they're searching for the Horn of Valir. Now, why is that ironic? Well, one, we know we've seen it. Two, we know where it is now. Three, it literally already got blown Mm-hmm. And we know it's actually now on its way, or already at, the White Tower. Yes. Along with Matt and Co. Yes. I say Matt and Co. Like, Egwene, Nanive, Elaine, they're all in that group. We gotcha. Yeah. But, like, Matt's the unconscious one, so. Well, as far as we know. I assume he's not doing good from, like, the moment they were on Almuth Plain still. Okay. Other news? White Cloaks have perhaps as many as 5,000 soldiers on Almuth Plain. That's more than they've gathered in one location in, like, forever. Yeah, the last time they had a good number of White Cloaks together, it was, like, 949 of them, and they all died in, like, 30 seconds. And that is a size of White Cloak group, though, that wasn't unheard of, because that was just a legion. So this is, like, five legions. Okay, this is a big group. They don't send groups this size normally anywhere. So this is news, but also news is, okay, what are they doing there? Well, they claim to be there to bring peace. That's not unwhite cloaky to claim that. <laughs> to do that? Uh... Now, they are trying to do that. They're trying to make the oh, yeah. Terraboners and the Domani, who've been fighting each other all over the Almuth Plain, they're trying to make them all go home. You go to your corner, you go to your corner, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's also, remember, these groups that have declared for the dragon. The dragon sworn. Yes. Not one group, but groups, plural. Right. And the White Cloaks aren't doing anything with them. They act like they are, but they're not. They don't approach any significant groups. They, like, it seems like they go to, through the motions. Like, they act like they're about to go up against a group of White Cloaks, and then something delays them, and the White Cloaks can't act fast enough in the dragon swore and get away again. Now we know some of this, the true meaning and motivation of this, because we saw the prologue. But these people here are just going, what the hell are the White Cloaks doing? It's very mm -hmm. confusing. They also claim that they're hunting the false dragon, but they don't seem to be actively doing anything to try to find the false dragon. So it's weird. Again, they haven't read the prologue, like you said. Mm -hmm. So they can't figure out what's going on with the White Cloaks. It sounds shifty. There's something weird going on. Loyal suggests this may be a weaving of the wheel. It's providing a way for Rand to come down from the mountain and gather the dragon sworn to him. Land, though, he's like, uh, no, it, it smells like a White Cloak plot. I, I would not yep. say this is a way that you can come down safely. Brand will come down, gather the dragon sworn, and those dragon sworn will turn out to be White Cloaks in disguise that stab him in the back. 
He also mentions, you know, the Terraboners and Damani, that the White Cloaks are trying to get off the plane. They're not all gone, and they're still fighting each other. They're also fighting the Dragon Sworn as much as they're fighting each other. So, no, it's still not safe for Rand to go down, even if what the White Cloaks are doing is legit. It's just a problem. Now, Moraine shares one more oddity that came in the news. Yes. See, Leia is part of the Tinkers, the Tuatha'an. And they have a number of groups that are still scattered around the plane. And we learn here that they're still there because Moraine asked them to. She, like, put out the request. Stick around and pay attention what's going on. And so one of the things that that has gleaned for her now is this news that three young men in various villages have mysteriously died of late. One by poison, two by knife but in ways that should have been impossible. I mean, nobody saw the one guy get poisoned, so they have no idea how that happened. And the two that were stabbed by knife, it happened in a way where there should have been no way someone got in there and stabbed them and got back out. It's like someone invisible walked right in. It's like, what in the world? Were there two halves of a table in there? <laughs> I know where you're going there. No <laughs> hole to crawl through, no. Okay. The other striking part of this, though, is that all three of these men share physical similarity to Randall Thor. Taller than average, light hair. They're probably a little shorter than him, but that's just because he's ridiculous. Yeah. Perrin asks, well, how could people have been killed if there was no way for someone to get close to them? How does that work? Well, he does learn that the Dark One has some killers that you don't notice until, like, their knife is already through your heart. So silent but deadly, huh? You went there. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Like, I want to be proud, but I'm not. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> uh, Anyways. Uno calls them soulless. And Moraine's like, oh, pfft, enough of that. We're not going to talk about that. Apparently we don't talk about boogeymen, even if they are real. She shut that stuff down hard. Why? Perrin and Min are like... But we want to know about these uh, soulless dudes. What the heck? That they can just sneak in and kill you and you don't even see it coming? What? It feels very important to know, but nope. And I would suggest that, yes, it is very important to know. So uh, first time readers, pay attention. That might be important. Parents' takeaway from the whole thing is just really there's been nothing important to know because literally nothing has changed. Yeah, he snarkily says, okay, we cannot go down to the plane, and the Dark One wants us dead. Great. No new news. Love it. Moving on. Then Moraine double checks with Uno, says, okay, your scouts, you're sure there's no new action? You haven't seen anything coming towards the camp? Nothing out there we need to be worried about? And he's like, nope, nope. It appears nothing's changed. No, we haven't seen a bloody, I mean, we haven't seen a thing, Moraine said I. Moraine is concerned that the earthquake may have attracted Shadowspawn to their hidden location. What? Yeah. No. Because, yeah, you know, that was kind of a big use of power. No. But nothing can be done. Nothing more, at least. She says, we'll just have to be vigilant. She explains she does have wards set up with the power around the camp, but she had to choose what kind of wards to use. And she's gone with the kind that are basically cloaking the camp so that Shadow Spawn should not notice them. 
uh, it was suggested, could you like put a killing spell around the camp? I mean, they don't use that language, but she's like, mm, no, not really. I don't have anything like that strong enough that would take out a merge roll, for example. Not to mention, even if she could, it would just be so much of a use of power. She'd be like in bed all the time or dead. There are times this world probably wishes it had claymores. Those would be the Ooh. thing to put around the camp. I mean, they do have, like, hunting traps and things, just not that explosive. Yes. Since there's not really anything else we can do, I guess we'll just have to be ready. And Moraine emphasizes that I think it's important that we be ready. I don't know ready for what, but there's, like, a feeling in Perrin. He says, waiting. That's what it feels like to him. Like, we're waiting. Like, there's, there's a sense of waiting for something. And I mean, we were already sitting, waiting. That's what we've been doing. We had a chapter named it, but now it's slightly more urgent, but also not. And it's waiting for something bad, probably. Probably. Moraine's like, yeah, keep your weapons close and sweet dreams, everybody. That's right. And so they do. They all turn in. Uh, Except a few that are on guard duty. Perrin, he turns in as well. He's got his own little hut. Goes on in. Basically takes everything off except his small clothes. Wheel of Time underwear. Which aren't actually small. (laughs) Blows my mind. Small clothes are not small. Okay. It's not something I spend a lot of time dwelling on, but all right. It's just, they're not. (laughs) They're big and baggy, usually. And then he lays down. And the chapter ends saying, Then sleep came, and with it, dreams. That's not ominous at all. Yeah, that is rather significant. So let's move to chapter four, which is called Shadows Sleeping. Fantastic. While it isn't immediately apparent, it doesn't take long for a reader to figure out, okay, we've gone with Perrin into dreamy land. Okay, he's he's sleeping here. And I was going to be like, okay, maybe we don't need to dive too deep into this chapter. I'll just do a cursory overview. And then as I started writing, I got sucked in. So let's let's break down what Perrin experiences here. So we're doing a cursory deep dive. (laughs) Pretty much. Okay, first off, right up front, Perrin notes something murmured in the back of his mind, a dim sound only vaguely heard scratching to get in. Now this murmuring, it pops up again and again throughout the sequence, with Perrin intentionally ignoring and dismissing it repeatedly. So we're supposed to remember this. There's something going on. There's something trying to talk to him or not a knocking at the door or something weird. And he just, it's always like, no, no, later, later. Dismissing it. Now, something is strange about this dream. It's a dream, but it's not a dream. Somehow things are real here, but are they? It's kind of tough to explain. Like what? In the opening scene of his dream, he's in the common room of an inn. And he sees a bunch of round tables. And then he looks away for a moment and he looks back again and they're all square tables. What? Okay, round tables just blink became square tables. Things like that happen throughout the sequence. So there's like a a lack of permanence. Things will flux back and forth. His object permanence is having issues. Yeah. There's something going on that's a little unusual. In the first part of the dream, I mentioned Perrin's in this common room. Yeah. And there's a man with him shaded in shadow off to the side of the room. And he's speaking to him about giving up the axe. That's when Parent notices, oh, I'm fully dressed, wearing my axe right here at my waist. 
Interesting. The gist of the conversation is this man is trying to get Perrin to give up the fight and go back to being a blacksmith, you know, with a hammer before it's too late. I mean, that's what you really want to do, isn't it? It's tempting. I mean, it really is what he wants to do. But Perrin feels like he should recognize this guy. There's something kind of shady about him, maybe. I don't know. Something about his eyes. Yeah, something familiar, but it won't come to him. He can't pull it out of whatever is in the memory cells somewhere. But what he does know about this man is he doesn't trust him. Not one bit. As like, he's all in shadow, so he was really shady? Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's how he feels about him. The man asks Perrin to have a drink. And Perrin's just like, nah fam, I'm good. The man warns Perrin that he won't have many chances to step aside. And he says this, Three threads woven together share one another's doom. When one is cut, all are. Fate can kill you if it does not do worse. What might that be a reference to, Zach, based on what we've read so far? Well, probably uh, how Taviran are three threads in a pattern that are woven together. Personally, my takeaway is sounds like somebody needs a better pair of like specifically sewing scissors so that you can cut only one thread and not the other two. Because they're just going at it with weird bulky scissors and they're going to get all three. Okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like those little orange ones mom has? Yes. Yeah, her little snipping ones. They're way more precise. Yes. You wouldn't have to chop all three. That's true. Perrin, he's not having anything with this guy, though. He, he, he wants nothing to do with it. You know, there was a book we read once where a guy would appear in a dream to Perrin and try to talk to him about things, convince him of things. No, really? That happened? There was, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, sounds kind of ballsy to me. Perrin can't remember. Nice. Perrin can't remember any of this right now. But still, it holds true for him that when shady guy in dream offers me drink, I shouldn't trust him and I should go away. Don't take candy from strangers. Right, don't get into vans, any of that stuff. So Perrin turns to leave. And at this point, everything shifts. It's not just, okay, he walks out the door. He's somewhere else. Now he's standing in front of a mirror, seeing himself dressed in very impressive armor, mm. still, however, with that same axe at his waist. And now he has a woman in the room with him. Oh, does he? Yes, yes, yes. Described as the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. I wonder who we've heard described like that. Oh, this gets better because she gets his attention with this remark. A man destined for glory. Gotcha. So we immediately know this is Celine, a.k.a. Lanfear. Absolutely. Yeah. Immediately. Yes, yes, yes. Just hits us right over the head with the glory, glory drum, hammer, whatever. Perrin, though, he's never met this woman. He had no direct encounters with Celine slash Lanfear. No. So this is his first time. But she's still kind of sus. <laughs> well, everything in the dream is sus. But she's coming in and bringing a kind of a counterweight to what we saw with the first guy. Okay, because now what happens in this conversation is she doesn't want him to stop and back down. She wants him to take up his destiny, think about the glory, and, you know, embrace what he is being led to do. And then she offers him a drink. <laughs> There's a thing with the drink. I, You know, it doesn't really explain... But clearly it's part of, you know, you be part of my team, take a drink. I mean, I'm a fan of, like, drink with your friends. I drank with my dad. 
Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So we've got this uh, drink that's offered. And hmm, he's like, I don't know. Well, at this point, it says a growling chewed at his brain. And Perrin says no. Well, I, I like the particular phrase growling chewed at his brain. Yeah, it's, it's, like, yeah. it's a good thing in a harsh description. But it definitely distracts him for a moment. And yeah. he has to actively fight against it, resist it. When he kind of snaps back to what he should be paying attention to, to this woman who's offering him a drink, he looks at the drink again and, wait a second, when she offered it, it was in a silver chalice. Now it's in a golden chalice. What? That's weird. That's wrong. And he notices this just flipped from silver to gold, didn't it? And as he's confused by that, that sound comes back in his head again. Mm -hmm. demanding, gnawing, and Perrin's like, no, no, I am a blacksmith. I am a man. He does his little William Shatner thing. He basically, like, ignores the situation that's actually happening in front of him and goes, wait a second, I'm hearing wolves in my head again. I don't want that. I'm digging my heels in. Yes. And focuses on that really aggressively again, and then the dream shifts. Right. Guess he doesn't get to have a drink with that very beautiful woman. He's made it past... Part one and part two of the dream. But now in this brand new location, it's a very fantastical one now. Full of stone bridges and spires arching all over the place in a dimly lit world. Did that remind you of anything we've already seen? It reminds me a little bit in its description of like the ways. Exactly. I saw the same thing. I mean, it's it reminds me of like a little more put together than what we've seen of the ways, a little less crumbly, a little less dark. And it mentions he hears water falling in the background. We didn't hear anything like that in the ways. No, but it, it feels similar. Agreed. At least in design. Mm -hmm. In this location, Perrin is able to observe others from secret. So he's not, he doesn't have someone offering him a drink this time. It's like he's here and others don't know he's here. First thing he sees is way off in the distance, a woman in a white dress hurriedly moving along. Hmm. Then he notices much closer to him, a man just appears. Tall, dark, slender, black hair with a touch of silver in it. And then another man appears, walking up one of those bridges, approaching the first man. The second man is described as shorter than the first, more stocky, with close-cropped white hair. Seems old, but not in any way frail. Still very powerful. Both men are dressed to the nines. Now, Robert Jordan sometimes gets uh, ridiculed. That's not the right word. People complain about him being too detailed about what people are wearing and stuff. About the same amount of time on clothing as Tolkien did describing dirt. Which is not a bad thing. It just means you spend like an entire page talking about something that you found important. Right. So I'm not going to go into all the details here of what they're wearing, but the point is they are dressed very fancily, very richly. And it goes along with them also exuding a very strong sense of arrogance. He can just practically see arrogance oozing out of these guys. Ooh, they look lordly. E. Now he's too far away to actually hear what they say to each other. But he can read their body language and got those great eyes. At least enough. Yes. And he can read it enough to see that they are wary of each other. They don't like each other. They might even actually hate each other, is what he's picking up. They ain't friends. No, definitely not. And then a third guy shows up. Someone, Perrin feels like, huh, 
should I recognize him? Like, have I seen him, like, in an inn somewhere? Or maybe even somewhere before that? <laughs> what might a reader realize about this third guy based on what's here? Even though Perrin doesn't realize it, I think a reader would. What should we know about this third guy? Very possibly it's the same guy as the first guy in this dream. One that he's seen repeatedly, multiple times perhaps, throughout mm -hmm. his weird dreams in multiple books. Exactly. As this guy approaches them, it's clear that they don't like him. Even more mm. than not liking, they fear this guy. So suddenly these enemies of each other kind of become allies against mm -hmm. this guy. Because he's so much worse. The enemy of my enemy is my That's friend. Right. That's right. And they all start having conversation. It starts out with this third guy yelling at them. <laughs> so, blah, you know. That feels fair. But they only take it for a little while. And then they start yelling back. And then they start yelling at each other. And basically, you've got a three-way argument going. Everybody's yelling at everybody. And finally, that third guy, he's had it. He's fed up. And he just kind of throws his hands up in the air. A big fireball shows up. And it covers them all. It's, to me, a moment where, like, the party's arguing in your dungeon in D&D, and the sorcerer goes, I'm done with this. I cast Fireball. I know my friendlies are in the way. I cast Fireball anyway. <laughs> Pretty much. Perrin ducks when the Fireball kind of erupts, because it expands big time. He's like, he feels the heat coming at him, the explosion, explosive wave, you know. When he then looks back up, I mean, he's fine. Turns out he didn't burn or anything. But the three guys are all gone. He can actually tell. It looks like it, the ground there was damaged by a fireball. A little bit of melted. <laughs> Enough that it seems like uh, probably a good thing you ducked. Right? But there's no bodies left. There's no ash. I mean, whatever was there, those guys all appear to be gone or completely incinerated. One of those they two. They poofed or poofed. The point is now Perrin is alone. Woohoo! And then he feels a prickling on the back of his neck. His wolfy sense is tingling. Uh, very aptly said, because he looks up behind him, because feeling that, his spider sense, wolfy sense, he sees a wolf. There is a big shaggy gray wolf on the ramp above him looking right down at him. And Perrin's again like, shoo, go away, bad wolf. You know, he, he doesn't want anything to do with this. So The he, wolf does not run away, so he does. No, that's right. He's going to try to get out of this, maybe wake himself up, something. He runs away and everything shifts again. He's not just running down a bridge. He's suddenly in a brand new fourth location. But, interestingly, this is one he knows. He's dreamed this before. In fact, he's dreamed this the last four nights successively. In a row. And he remembers this. So he recognizes instantly, okay, I, I'm in a dream. Mm -hmm. Because I've had this dream the four previous nights and here it is again. So, where is he? It's a big space, high-domed ceilings, big columns. In the center of the room, there's a glass or crystal sword hanging in the air. That's right, just hanging. Mis magically. And he, as he walks towards it, this time something new happens. He hears a whisper. Oh. Now he's not sure if the whisper's in his head or if it's coming from the room or something. That's creepy. Yeah, I know. And he hears, Kalendor. Who wields me, wields destiny. Take me and begin the final journey. I don't think I want any kind of journey if it's called the final journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's not at all freaky 
to hear something like that. Not at all. <laughs> now, Discord is saying, oh, hello, cover art. And so I do have, you know, my copy of the book. And it was horrible cover art because the guy who clearly is supposed to be Perrin, Perrin never looked like that. Seriously? It was bad. It's very weird. <laughs> but yes, so Kalendor, this magic glass sword of some sort, is what he sees and he's hearing its name and he backs away from it. You know, it says, take me. It's like, uh-uh, not me. Peace out, man. I'm not touching this thing. I got an axe. I'm good. <laughs> he is clearly frightened by whatever's going on, especially because this is different from the first four dreams. This is new. Mm -hmm. And then a different whisper is heard. But this time it's from a source he knows. This is a wolf. He's heard wolves in his head before. So he knows mm -hmm. he's hearing a wolf. And what he hears is, the twisted ones come. And Perrin sees a mountain wolf right here in this same stone place, standing there, staring at him. And again, hearing, the twisted ones come. And Perrin's just like, no, 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 wolves, get out. I don't want it. Get, get out. And in fact, he does that so strongly this time, he does wake himself up. Mm -hmm. So he gets he out of this gets out. He doesn't get away from the wolf, though. Now, not that there's a wolf standing there staring at him, but he still hears the same exact voice. The twisted ones come. The twisted ones come, brother. End of chapter. Now, astute readers may remember what the twisted ones are. I don't... Because we've heard that phrase before. Have we? We have. We have. Okay, I'm going to need you to tell it to me because I have a thing in my brain of what the twisted ones actually is. I don't... I didn't think we'd heard it yet. Now, I have to admit, I didn't look this up. This is memory, but I believe we've heard this referenced twice in The Eye of the World and in The Great Hunt, both times in relation to Perrin and the wolves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first time when they're with Elias Makara, yeah. and they're talking about this is how the wolves think of Trollocs, the Twisted Ones. See, for some reason... And they my... want to kill them, always. That in was how it brain... came up. I thought the Twisted Ones was different Shadow Spawn, but you're probably right. It makes more sense in context. I just, mm -hmm. I thought it was something we haven't met. And in The Great Hunt, when he's having the wolves help him be able to track Fane and the bad guys, it's mostly because they will track the Twisted Ones. Because they hate those, and, and they don't really care about the people. I think so, it used that term there, too. As we're speaking wolf, Twisted Ones, Trollocs. Exactly. Match the T's. There you go. Did you know some people don't say Trolloc, they say Trolloc? I don't like I it. I can't do that. I, I, I just don't like can't. it. Like, it feels, it feels like you went through an effort to try and make a fantasy race that wasn't, like, ripped off of some other fantasy monster race. And so pronouncing it too close to Troll or Orc, which Trolloc just feels like a mash of the two, mm -hmm. just, like, rubs me the wrong way. I'm like... He at least tried to do something original. Let's give it now, to him. I would say it's it's not at all off that Robert Jordan came up with the word, the name, thinking oh, something like that. Definitely. But I would go with the different pronunciation of Trolloc. I also yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with if you do pronounce it Trolloc. Nah, if you want to say Trolloc, you go Trolloc, for it, man. Trolloc, Say what you want. Trolloc Holmes. Not, we That's will not a... troll you for that. I want to see a fanfic now. Trolloc Holmes. <laughs> Someone will come up with it. Trolloc Holmes. Okay. Well, one more chapter. Chapter five. Christmas time, we'll have Trolalalalalex. 
<laughs> More parodies coming. More parodies coming. All right. <laughs> Chapter five is called Nightmares Walking. We just left off with the wolves telling Perrin, the Twisted Ones come, brother. And, okay, the murmur, the hum, the buzz, the scratching, all through his dreams. The wolves have been trying to tell him Trollocs are coming, and he's refused to listen. Mm -hmm. So all this time, they're warning him. Now he's finally awake and okay. So he may have wasted some time. What does he do? He immediately hops up, grabs his axe, runs outside. He doesn't put clothes on. So he's out there in his small clothes. I mean, it's more important that you're ready to survive than it is that you get dressed. That's what we saw in the two rivers when Emmons Field was attacked. People are more interested in, you know, get rid of the Trollocs than be modest. That's right. So he's out there and he knows he's got this sending. So he's looking immediately. And what does he see? He sees Trollocs. He sees them sneaky, stealthily creeping out of the woods on all all sides of the camp and he's like opens his mouth to warn everyone shout out but before he can do it lan comes bursting out of the cabin with moraine shouting out at the top of his lungs trollocs wake for your lives trollocs of course lan is completely closed perrin figures yeah he probably was never sleeping lan doesn't sleep that's that warder thing he doesn't have to sleep well, the Shinarans, they respond right away, too. Remember, they were all sleeping with their weapons nearby. They mm -hmm. come bursting out in what they were sleeping in, which most of them meant nothing. So you got a bunch of naked Shinarans swinging swords. So here we are. It's time. Everybody's ready, and we're going to fight some Trollocs. And the Trollocs, they see, hey, the, the jig is up. They know we're here. Blah! They come charging. Time to eat. Lan, he doesn't wait. He just goes dancing right into him. That's what it looks like to Perrin, because he's so smooth with that sword. But everywhere he dances, Trolloc fall down. Okay, so he's, he's quite effective with mm -hmm. that uh, Aes Sedai power rod sword. He sees Moraine there as well, and she's doing something we never see again in the entire series. It was kind of cool. She's, I mean, one thing we will see, she's chucking fireballs. Okay, yes. so he, she's taking out Trollocs. But in her other hand... She's got a thin branch, a switch, and she's slashing it, Trollocs with it. And everywhere she slashes, it it leaves a line of fire. I was like, she just created a lightsaber. That's what she's doing. I don't know. It doesn't cut through so much. It's more of like a uh, flame-touched flail. I want it to be a lightsaber. <laughs> that would be cool. It would be. It's not. It's not a lightsaber. Okay. Fine. Killjoy. <laughs> Perrin sees Leia then step out of Moraine's cabin, and she looks around with horror as well as loathing over the violence before her. Remember, tinkers abhor like, violence. Don't kill these nice Trollocs. They just came by. We need to run. Now, it's not so much that. Yeah, they just came for a bite to eat. It just happens we're the bite to eat. She gets it. Trollocs are bad, but killing of any kind hurts the person who's doing the killing as well. So that's where she has issues. Yeah. And so this is horrible. And she's horrified. And Perrin, he just shouts at her, get back inside and hide. And then a Trolloc attacks him. Now Perrin responds to the attack and he takes out that Trolloc actually pretty darn easy, which is impressive. It's like Trolloc comes by and he's just like, no, and chops the thing down. Pretty much. And he's not even paying attention to how challenging it is being attacked by a Trolloc. All he has on his mind is he has to save Leia. He's got a protector. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So get this Trolloc out of the way. Now he's rushing across the camp because that cabin is on the opposite side of where his cabin is. Rushing over there, as he's headed that way, another Trolloc sees him rushing across and looks to where he's headed, sees Leia just standing there. The Trolloc, practically the eyes light up. Yum! You know, and he heads for Leia. And Perrin's like, Leia, hide! And rushes over there trying to beat the Trolloc to her. The Trolloc, however, he's actually being crafty because he's really not after Leia. He's just Mm. trying to get Perrin worked up, and when Perrin almost gets to him, the Trolloc just whips around and swings at Perrin. He was after Perrin all along. Perrin, great wolfy reflexes. He ducks, he does not get hit, and he goes at the Trolloc. But this one's a little harder. They end up tumbling and fighting and grappling and wrestling. And in the end, Perrin outmuscles the Trolloc. At this point, we can realize not only was Perrin a blacksmith's apprentice, but he hasn't just been sleeping on it. He's been training. He's been, he's got to have been doing like pushes or something. Maybe those boulders that roll into camp. Maybe they rolled into camp before and he helps push them away. Yeah, this dude is a specimen. He's been working out. He's a big, strong man. Once the second Trolloc is dead, Perrin looks up at Leia, still encouraging her to hide. Now, he took out this Trolloc, but he uh, the Trolloc got its licks in. Perrin is kind of messed up too now. So it's not like he's hopping right up to go run to Leia. I mean, it's not like falling down dead, but it's like, ah, ow. So the best he can really do is look up at her going, go back in. <laughs> she doesn't. She looks at him. And her eyes seem to be filled with something that he responds to with a growl, basically, and says, don't pity me. Okay, so like, on the one hand, I understand her position. But on the other hand, it's very much like a, oh, you think you're better than me? Don't pity me. I don't want your pity. I'm trying to save your life. Yeah. Yeah, and it really does kind of look like I'm better, not in a sense that I think I actually am better. I don't think Leia's doing that. But Perrin definitely sees it as kind of like a, no, you poor thing. You're doing violence. Stop. Mm-hmm. It ticks Perrin off a little bit. Yeah. As it should. But before they can go into any more verbal altercation about it, Perrin sees a merge rule up on top of the cabin, jumping down off of it, looking at Perrin. Ooh, the Meridral did not skip leg day. <laughs> no. And its gaze is on Perrin. Their eyes are locked. And we've heard before. No, they are not. It does not have eyes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but the gaze of the eyeless that we've talked about before is... Mm, what's the word? Not magical. Fear. Mystifying. Frightening. Something. It has a fear gaze. It's an effect. Yeah, yeah. Perrin is locked in. He's stuck. And he can't really do anything. And the Miradrol is clearly out for Perrin. It moves towards him saying, Cut one leg of the tripod and all fall down. And suddenly... Well, before I say suddenly, that was an interesting comment, wasn't it? I mean, we've heard something kind of similar. Not about tripods, but about threads. And three. So this guy clearly has... uh. Perhaps some orders from someone who also was thinking of threes and wants to take out this one who he recognizes, identifies as one of three. I'm sure it's totally just three being a super common number in things. Totally. Yeah. 
You suck. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Okay. Now, at this point, Leia takes action. She's going to act to defend Perrin, but not with violence. She clearly moves at the merge roll with her arms reaching out as if she wants to hug his legs. She's going to give him a nice big hug. Yep, just slow him down. Try to stop him from getting to Perrin. That's all. Some people would consider that violence. It's called a grapple. She doesn't see it that way. She's, in her mind, viewing it as a hug. I think we could have an entire debate about this right now, (laughs) but we're not going to because we don't have that much time in this episode. That's right. Well, she never gets a chance to act on it anyways, though, because without even turning her direction, the Merdrill just swipes out with a backhand of his sword, and she's down. We know those blades are nasty. Yes, they are. Perrin, still stuck in the gaze of the Fade, hasn't even moved. It could be all over for him. And then he hears in his mind, We come, brother. We come, young bull. And at that moment, the thoughts and the presence of scores of wolves floods into his head as physically they pour into the bowl to kill the Twisted Ones, or Trollocs. Yeah. Big Doggo saved the day. Perrin is also filled with renewed energy with all of this wolfiness pouring through him, and the way they feel about the Twisted Ones infects him. He is basically converted mentally at this moment into full wolfness. Oh! Okay, and as he looks at this merdrill, he doesn't see it as a merdrill anymore. He sees it as a wolf sees it, where they know it as a neverborn. And he feels the same hate and drive to destroy it that wolves feel. So this wolfness takes over, and young bull strikes out at the neverborn, mm-hmm. using the tried and true technique of hamstring and throat. That's what wolves do. He throws himself to the side on one of his knees and slashes across the back of the Myrdral's knee, hamstringing it. Myrdral goes down. And as it falls, Young Bull goes ahead and swings with his axe again, taking it in the neck. I appreciate this. He does not decapitate it. Because that's hard. You've taught us. Yes. He nearly decapitates it. That's right. And the head flips back over, <laughs> hanging from a teeny bit of the neck. The Neverborn continues to slash wildly with its sword, but it has no direction anymore. It's dead. It just doesn't know it yet, because the Neverborn take a long time to die. Yeah, still give it some wide berth, because its thrashing might still kill somebody. Yes. Through the thoughts of all the wolves, as well as with his own eyes, Young Bull looks around. He sees Trollocs thrashing about on the ground, shrieking. They are the ones that were linked to this Myrdral. We've learned of that before. That's a fun mechanic that I'm sure will never be dropped in the future. They would die when the Myrdral dies if someone doesn't kill them first while they're twitching on the ground. Young Bull feels an incredible urge to run with his brothers, to join in the killing of Twisted Ones and the remaining Neverborn, but a little fragment of him remembers, wait a second, I'm Perrin, not Young Bull, I'm Perrin. And Leia, Leia's the one I was concerned about. Leia! He drops his axe, he turns to Leia, he rolls her over, and yeah, she's dead. Oops. Eyes are glazed over, and he says something kind of kind of sad. Very sad. He says, I tried. I tried to save you. What else could I have done? It would have killed you if I hadn't killed it. He's like still justifying his actions to her. I'm sorry, parents. She was going to die no matter what, because, you know, men. Exactly. 
But that's not what he's thinking now. No. And in fact, he feels horrible. So when the wolves call him again, right at that moment, he hears, come, young bull, come kill the twisted ones. He's like, heck yeah, I'm out of here. He escapes his pain, his regrets. He lets young bull consume him again. Takes up his axe. That'll be his teeth as he joins his brothers and sisters in the fight against the Twisted Ones. Looking around, trees are on fire, so there's a lot of light now in the area. The power is shooting about like sheet lightning. He sees Lan fighting another Myrdral. He sees Loyal swinging this massive quarterstaff. And no Trolloc gets anywhere close to him because it just, you know, takes him out completely, if mm-hmm. he does. He sees Shannar in two legs fighting desperately, but many of them are already down on the ground. And amongst all of this, Young Bull identifies groups of his brothers and sisters fighting, small packs of threes and fours, dodging, slashing, lunging, doing whatever it takes to kill. And Young Bull just joins up with one of these packs. Young Bull loses the sense of the greater battle as he just enjoys fulfilling his purpose with his brothers and sisters. It's all about the Twisted Ones. The thrill of the hunt. Then that Twisted One, then that Twisted One. We, we take them down! And he remains lost in, in this for a while. It's a while. And then abruptly realizes, hey, there's no more left. They all, They're all gone. are dead or running away. He senses his brothers pursuing some that have fled, but there's no more here. In particular, he senses a pack of seven of his brothers and sisters who are after another of the Neverborn, who is running for its hard-footed forelegs. Also known as a horse. There's a part of him, distantly remembers that. The wolves catch this Neverborn, and a vicious battle takes place, and Perrin can sense all of this through the wolf communication. In fact, the Neverborn, it fights violently, and almost instantly one of his brothers is killed, and Perrin snarls at the loss of a brother. But the other wolves, they don't stop. And they do drag this Neverborn down, and it's a battle to the death, and indeed... Six of the seven are killed, but in the end, so is the Neverborn. Woo! That last wolf, one of his sisters, she howls in mourning, howls to the moon, and young bull, he does the same right where he's at. So weird thing. Did you ever watch through the Twilight movies? All but the last one, because by then, your mother and your sister were so disgusted, they wouldn't watch the rest. So in Eclipse, the third one, there's a whole scene with, like, the wolves, werewolf people fighting the vampires, and there's a lot of, like, launching over and trying to rip apart bodies, but the vampires are also super strong and stuff. And, like, this fight of the Neverborn and the wolves launching themselves at each other, that's kind of the image that I call to. Yeah, that's not a bad image. Young Bull was so caught up in the moment, he howls with the sister wolf, but then he opens his eyes and he sees Min standing there staring at him, asking, um, are you all right? No, he's not. Picture this. The battle is over, and you've got everybody just kind of picking up the pieces, and then there's Perrin standing in the middle, howling at the moon. (laughs) He realizes now, yeah, everybody's staring at him. Loyal, the Shinarans who are left, Moraine, Lan, they're all looking at him, going, uh... (laughs) I like to imagine that his wolf howl doesn't sound like our imitations of a wolf howl, but rather just him, like... It's a scream to the sky that is animalistic, but it's more the feeling and emotion of a wolf howl, not the imitation of the sound. Perhaps. And he's got all of these people looking at him, 
worried about him, wondering what's going on, and all he wants to do is howl again. But he's like, uh, uh, I need to rein this puppy in. So he does not howl. Instead, he goes through an internal battle to wall off those feelings again, to shut himself away from the wolves, block the images, block the emotions. And he does. And finally replies, I, I'm all right, men. Lan, he praises Perrin's fighting skill at this point, and he gives him a Tyshar Manatherin, Tyshar Ander, which means... True blood of Manetherin, true blood of Andor. Exactly. And so the Shannarans there, they join in, and Loyal's like, yep, yep, Taviran. Taviran. Like that explains everything, all the time. Did you just make a Fiddler on the Roof reference? I did, I did. I'll give it to you. So he's getting praised by Lan, praised by the Shannarans, even acknowledged by Loyal, and he feels embarrassed. He's like, I, I don't want to be praised here but at the same time he gets what Lan just did for him rather than having to explain the wolfiness it's all turned focus to how how badass he just battled how impressive that was he doesn't have to explain anything you ripped things apart with your bare hands he has bare hands <sighs> okay Perrin then shares with Min that Leia is dead he couldn't save her. And Min points out, it was her destiny, just as I'd seen it. Nothing you could have done would have changed it, Perrin. Doesn't make Perrin feel better. Nope. It wouldn't make much of anyone feel better. Nope, I don't think so. Perrin thinks here, then, about this experience he's just gone through with the wolves. It scares him. He feels like he almost completely lost himself. He almost wasn't able to come back to being Perrin. And he's thinking, I cannot let this happen. So I just, I can't connect with the wolves like that ever again. I have to make sure I keep them out. And we're back to full denial. Got it. But at the same time, he's also acknowledging it felt so good. Not Good's even the wrong word. It felt right. The wolves accepted him perfectly and easily, just as he is. He is wolf brother. He is he young bull. Complete. Yeah. Perfectly welcome. Perfectly part of them. And he wants that. That is a good thing. But he's not young bull. He's parent. So he's very torn. Then we get a crazy Masima moment. <sighs> <laughs> Masima, that rather negative Shinaran soldier, happens to be one of those that are still kicking around. Bummer. Masima the Zealot. Yes. And he declares this experience was a sign to confirm our faith in the dragon reborn. Look, even the wolves come to fight for him. Mm-hmm. Wolves, they come and fight for the Dragon Reborn, not, you know, for the wolf brother. Well, again, they don't know about that. I know. He insists that this is actually a sign, then, that we are now to go forth down to Almuth Plain and draw everyone to the Lord Dragon. Surely everyone will come except dark friends. So let's go. We have nothing to fear. And his eyes, they seem to glow with his zealous zealotness. Zealous. <laughs> Uno... He shuts that crap right down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. He, he tells him, you shut your bloody mouth, Masima. We'll flame and go forth when the Lorn Dragon bloody well tells us and not before. You sheep-headed farmers flaming, remember that. <laughs> Gotta love Uno. And for all the positive of Uno, yes. he then makes an oops. Yeah. Trying to look on the bright side of things, he says, well, at least we'll have wolf hides to keep our wounded warm. Which I mean, like, not a big oops, but also, like... That's right. And Perrin's like, no! Very, very vehemently. 
He insists, they fought with us, we will bury them with our dead. Uno's clearly about to argue with them, and Perrin just stares him down with those golden eyes, and Uno's like, um, okay, man, it's all good. Uno's bringing the utilitarian perspective and going, I mean, the fur is not going to do them much good. It could do our wounded good. But Perrin's like, nah, they deserve respect. Yep. And we and Uno respect Perrin for that stance. Then Perrin asks, where's Rand? And Min points him out. He's sitting away alone in the dark, kind of out on the edge. And she says, he won't talk to anyone. That's okay. That's normal. Perrin is the one who can always get Rand to talk, though. So he heads right over to him. And Min actually trails. But Min's like, you're wounded, dude. Don't worry about Rand yet. Let's get you to Moraine. Let's get you healed. But nope. Perrin is going straight for Rand. And when he gets there, Rand opens right up. Mm-hmm. He says, you know what? You know what I did during the fight, Perrin? I reached for the true source, and I couldn't touch it. I couldn't grasp it. Nothing. So I struggled. All the fighting's going on. I'm just sitting here trying to grab the one power. I finally get it, and I can't do anything with it. You see those trees that are burning? That was me. Okay, I got all these Trollocs around, and all I can do is turn trees into... Only you can start forest fires. Yes! Yes! That was me! (sighs) And then... Sidene is pouring into me, and I can't think of anything useful to do. I don't know how to do anything with it. Then I have this idea. Oh, I could just bring the mountain right down on all the Trollocs. That'd do it. And then a small part of my brain is, oh, yeah, that would kill the rest of us, too. Hmm. Probably shouldn't do that. And literally, I spent the rest of the battle fighting myself to not pull the mountain down on all of us. That's all the good I was. Rand is really frustrated. Hey, Rand, at least you did not bring the mountain down on us. Yeah, good call, Rand. You know, it was a good fight. He also notes that he sensed the shadow spawn coming way ahead of time. He didn't realize what it was, but he, he says they feel like the taint on Sidene. So he, he sensed this something out there, like the taint, and it was getting closer. By the time he figured out what it was, Lan was already shouting the warning. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm friggin' doing with Sidene, and I need to learn. I am no good to anybody like this, and if I'm supposed to be the one at the final last battle doing something, we're doomed. (laughs) I need to learn how to handle this. Now, Perrin feels guilty here, too, because some of Rand's story, not all of it, but a little bit of it, rings true to him as well. He also had lots of warnings much earlier that he intentionally ignored and shoved away. The wolves were trying to get to him way before, and when he finally woke up and got there, Lan was already rushing out, telling everybody. So he could have also warned everybody ahead of time. Yes. So we've got parallels here between Rand and Perrin. Neither of them are maximizing the abilities they have right now. Different ways, different paths, similar stories. They both have, They yep, they both need to learn more about their abilities to truly be of the best use to everybody. There's some interesting mm-hmm. parallels. Then Moraine and Lan approach. Moraine looking pretty much wiped. She's been healing those that she could. Not to mention all the fireballs and stuff from earlier. Right, right. She's seen to everybody now except these three. So she's come, take care of whatever they need, and then she can finally rest. Now she's got in her hand that little statue in Angrial. So that allows her to channel more than she would otherwise. But even so, Lan is right next to her. 
seemingly helping her stay up. <laughs> well, she doesn't have a staff anymore. Not not like clearly carrying her, but yeah, he, he's really trying to support her. She is clearly near exhaustion. So she takes a look at uh, Perrin first. Heals him right up. And, you know, he's pretty beat up, but she's like, these aren't too bad. But yeah, you've got some deep bruises here. I can, I can help. And okay, buckle up, buttercup. And <laughs> does the healing. Feels great. Kind of hungry. But you know. Yeah. Everything's gone, though. He's he's all healed up. It's wonderful. But yeah, immediately starving. And she does say, you know, much of the strength, the power needed for healing came from inside you. You need to replace that. Eat as soon as you can. The power was in you all along. She also just casually mentions, I did go around and heal any of the injured wolves that I could find. They had mostly been dragging themselves off into the woods already, but those that I could get to, I healed them. That's a scene I want to see. Yeah, everybody likes taking care of animals. Exactly. And she points out, you know, without them, we likely would all be dead. So kind of, it's the least I could do. Let's try to heal them. She turns to Min. Min declines any healing. I mean, she's got a bruise on her cheek. She's a little dinged up. She says, I- I've done worse falling down at home. No worries. And Moraine's like, okay, not a problem. Because <laughs> she's really tired. Then she asks after Rand, any cuts, any nicks, even the slightest little cut from a Trolloc sword could do great harm. And we remember that. That's what happened to Tam. Exactly. And Perrin notices, Rand, your coat is wet. You know, like bleeding something. He's like, nah, it's not from the battle. That's my Falmay wound. And it broke open again. It apparently does that. And Moraine's like, let me look. She inspects the wound and, ooh, yeah, it's, it's all bleeding and oozing again. It's not good. Rand comments about the prophecies of the dragon. You know, it says, my blood on the rocks of Shale Ghoul will free mankind from the shadow. Too bad we don't have like a way gate or something. We could just be there now. I could just drip a little and we'd be done. Awesome. Because I'd like to be done. No more dying. No more dreams. A little tongue-in-cheek of him We're there. just going to gloss right over the no more dreams thing he says because Moraine kind of glosses over it. Mm-hmm, She's but- tired. But, readers, you shouldn't gloss over that he commented about dreams. Moraine responds, you know, you can't take those prophecies so simply. The meanings are complex. They don't always mean exactly what they appear to mean. But regardless, holding on to her angry all, she channels to heal the wound again. Now, she can't heal it fully, just like before. But she at least can stop it from bleeding. It's still tender. She says, be careful now. It could break open again. So just go. And before she can really say anything else, she passes out. <laughs> she Land is does done. Catch her. That's good. Yep. He's got her. And uh, he says, you know, she cares for everyone else, but there's no one to care for her. Meaning no one can heal her. No one can help with her exhaustion. Nothing. Min mentions, well, there's Rand. It's kind of that moment of like, um, um, uh, well, um, no, thanks, but no. I'd rather you not accidentally blow up the person that you try to heal, because that's totally a possibility. Yeah, uh, you don't know what you're doing, Rand. He literally says right to him, it's not that I don't trust you or that you wouldn't try, but very likely you'd kill her rather than heal her, you know, so pass. And Rand, he responds in a very snarky way. He's like, that's right. I'm not to be trusted. I mean, lose 
Theron Kinslayer. He killed everyone close to him. That's probably... I'm doomed to repeat it. Well, time is a wheel. There we go again. <laughs> Lan, he doesn't care for that snarkiness, and he snaps at him. Pull yourself together, sheep herder. Basically, he's saying, the world's counting on you, so suck it up. I know he doesn't, but I like to think that Lan's smacking him over the head. <laughs> Metaphorically, he did. And Rand responds well. The bitterness just disappears, and he says, yeah, I will fight the best I can. And I'll do it because it's my duty. No one else can... Oh. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd be able to get through <laughs> one sentence. One sentence. Oh, it's everyone's fault this time. It really you are is. Six. Anyways, <laughs> he has to do it. The duty is his. And with that, Lan directs everyone. Okay, get some sleep. We've got to make plans in the morning for what to do next. So that's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the episode. What a great note to end on. <laughs> That's right. Now we can all do our duty. But before we take care of that, I want to remind everybody, if you've been enjoying all of this, we hope you'll rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll also mention before I go any further here, not to scare anybody off, we are going to have a spoiler room section at the end here. So we're just wrapping things up, but then we're going to go into full spoiler mode at the very end. So if you're a first time reader listening, we'll make sure you know when it's time to jump out because we're going to talk no holds barred on a couple of things from this episode. But again, to finish up the, the basics, if people want to talk to us about what they heard today, the things we said, the things we said right, the things we said wrong, how could they get a hold of us, Zach? Well, you can email us sternly or kindly at fantasyfortheages at gmail.com. You can give us a rating review and talk publicly. You can find us on various social medias, uh, be it Twitter, where we're most active, Facebook, where we check occasionally, and Instagram, where we post things about booze. Or you can come join the conversation with us, other listeners, and our patrons over on Discord. There's a link in this episode description and in most, if not all, others. And if you would be interested in being even more deeply involved with Fantasy for the Ages, you might consider becoming a patron of the show. Check out our Patreon page. I've got a link also in the show notes for that. These people we've been interacting with through the recording on our Discord server... They're all patrons. That's how you get to join a live recording. And um, it could be you. It could. And it's very cheap, actually. Now, there are some higher levels you can get to where you get extra benefits, but... You could pay us a lot and get on the podcast yourself. One day, that might happen. But for as little as a dollar US a day, you can be part of these live recordings. And we love having people with us here. It's a good time. All right, that's all I have to share at this point. Are you good so we as well? Are, yes, so if you are a first-time listener, now is your time to uh, hop on out. Bye, bye, bye. Be safe. <laughs> and then we shall enter... The Spoiler Room. Indeed. Let's do it. Yes. Now, we have to do rock, paper, scissors, but we haven't done this over Zoom, and there's a little bit of lag. So I say we pick off screen and then drag in at the same time. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. Rock, paper, scissors. I win. You go first. All right. So I get to spoil something. So in my case, I want to talk. 
there's so many good things here indeed but i i have to talk about this wolf dream okay so what we're experiencing here this is really the first time where it goes more deeply into that this is not just some dream or a dream shard of some kind Mm -hmm. this is teleron Riyadh. oh definitely they they are in the world of dreams and Perrin, without realizing what he's doing, is controlling the dream around him, is moving from place to place. I mean, mm-hmm. things that we're going to get so much more information on as we go through the series are really, for the first time, introduced here. It's something the ability to everything he shift. doesn't realize he can do for a long time, and he doesn't learn to control for even longer. Right, right. And, I mean, so many things that I didn't catch, certainly, the first time little nuances like the lack of permanence for different items being able to change between a round and a square table or a silver and a gold cup you know those sorts of things are very common in Teleron Riyadh because you have to have it firmly in your mind also the ability to the ability to move completely different spaces or to be dressed completely different ways i mean those things are all coming from your mind and then of course in Teleron Riyadh he sees some people and we're going to see, I'm not going to spoil that right now. Cause maybe you want to, no. maybe someone else is, but he's observing other people. And that's a thing in Teleron Riyadh. Other people are there too. Real people throughout the series are using this as a tool, as a way to get places, as a way to meet. And he gets to observe that for the first time. So that was pretty cool. That's going to have series long ramifications and in particular, Perrin's experience with Teleron Riyadh, which is different than most people's experience because he's he's handling it as a wolf, which is very cool. Okay, that's mine. What you got, Zach? I'm popping over to the Tinkers and specifically mentioning a trend that we see with Perrin. Perrin's the one we've kind of seen of the Taviran boys, at least, uh, interacting with some Tinkers in the past. Here he is again, and this whole Way of the Leaf stuff. This is the first time that we see a tinker do something that is arguably violence. She would say it's not, but it is action in a direct manner to try and do something rather than like just evading. And you could say it's she's trying to prevent even the mirror draw from doing damage, sure. But what it kind of does is a first little look at the fact that Perrin is going to be continuously tied into tinkers and some of them eventually leaving the way of the leaf uh, specifically Aram, and that's that later on Perrin will basically be solely responsible for a tinker actually picking up a sword going to battle repeatedly and inevitably again it's not a good thing. being responsible for a tinker's death right yeah, that re- remains a, a recurring theme all through the series for Perrin, the struggle between the Way of the Leaf and how it applies to his life and how he impacts others with his thoughts and actions. And Perrin feels guilty, even though he's not always entirely to blame, for a lot of tinkers that die. Yes. But that's my spoilage. And I don't think he ever really figures out how he should have acted differently. I don't think no. he, he senses anything he could have done differently. Even as he figures out his own dilemmas, he doesn't really figure out how to interact with tankers differently. Right. All right. Two very good full spoils. Big stuff, really, in these chapters introduced. Oh, yeah. We we see ramifications on for a long time. Definitely. All right. Good spot to wrap it up, then. 
You got anything else you want to say? That's all I've got. Me too. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.